Chapter 4 of The Emancipation of South America by Bartolomé Mitre. Translated by William Pilling. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Piotr Natter. Chapter 4. San Lorenzo. 1813-1814. On the 31st of December, 1812, the vanguard of the army sent against Montevideo, under the command of Colonel Rondeau, completely defeated a strong sortie of the garrison and laid siege to the city. On the 31st of January, 1813, the General Constituent Assembly met in Buenos Aires. The majority were members of the Lautaro Lodge, so there was no longer that anarchy of opinion which had neutralized the former assemblies. For the moment, it fulfilled popular aspirations. The nominal sovereignty of the King of Spain was eclipsed. His name disappeared forever from public documents. The escutcheons of Spain were torn down. Titles of nobility, the Inquisition, and judicial torture were abolished. The effigy of former monarchs was substituted on coins by the seal of the United Provinces, a sun with rays and a Phrygian cup, within a wreath of laurel. The colors of the Spanish flag were replaced by the blue and white of the patriot cockade, and the last link with the mother country was broken by declaring the supremacy of the national courts of law everything was reformed even to the prayers of the priests and the songs of the people who now in inspired verse saluted quote, a new and glorious nation with a conquered lion at her feet end quote. note a quotation from old mortales the argentine national hymn end quote. so was inaugurated the sovereignty of the argentine people a formal declaration of independence was now all that was wanting for the establishment of a republic. The armies in the field swore obedience to the assembly and marched with enthusiasm under the new flag upon the fortifications of Montevideo and upon the entrenchments of Salta. Only upon the water did the spirit of revolution as yet make no progress. The maritime power of Spain seemed invincible in America, her ships of war dominated the coasts from California on the Pacific to the Gulf of Mexico on the Atlantic. The sailors of Montevideo dominated the river plate and its affluents. One day they bombarded Buenos Aires, another they spread terror along the banks of the Uruguay and sacked defenseless towns on the Parana. Batteries were thrown up on the banks in front of Rosario and at Punta Gorda, which only diverted attack from these points to other, more defenseless. In October 1812, the towns of San Nicolas and San Pedro, on the western bank of the Parana, were cannonaded and sacked. Then, with the object of diverting the attention of the patriots from the siege of Montevideo, cutting off all communication by the rivers with the interior, and of procuring supplies for the garrison of Montevideo, a flotilla was organized under the command of a noted smuggler, Ruiz by name, on which was shipped a detachment of infantry, led by a red-haired Biscayan named Zapala, a man of colossal stature and of approved valor. The government of Buenos Aires, hearing of this expedition, ordered the battery at Rosario to be dismantled and the guns to be sent higher up the Paraná to Punta Gorda, where the garrison was strengthened. The colonel of the mounted grenadiers also received orders to march with two squadrons for the protection of the coast from Zarate to Santa Fe. The royalist expedition, under convoy of three small ships of war, concentrated at the mouth of the Guazú, below the delta of the Paraná, about the middle of January, 
and were there delayed by a north wind so that when san martin reached the coast they were only commencing the ascent of the main valley keeping his troops out of sight san martin disguised in the hat and poncho of a countryman kept watch upon their movements from the bank by day and by night on the twenty eighth of january they passed san nicolas and on the twenty ninth anchored above rosario without having as yet made any attempt to land escalada commandant of rosario collected twenty-two men carrying muskets and thirty horsemen and with a small gun prepared to make what resistance he could at daybreak on the thirtieth the flotilla cast anchor inside the island of san lorenzo which lies in the middle of the river about seventeen miles to the north of rosario the western bank here consists of high bluffs affording no landing places except where narrow paths were cut through them to the water's edge in front of one of these cuttings the flotilla anchored beyond the low trees which bordered the edge of the bluff stood the lonely monastery of san carlos a two-story building with a belfry on the roof about a hundred men landed but all the provisions they could obtain from the peaceful friars were a few fowls and melons all cattle had been withdrawn from the coast as the monastery bell struck half-past seven a cloud of dust was seen on the rosario road it was escalada with his fifty men and his one small gun the spaniards retreated with drums beating to their boats and escalada opened fire upon them from the edge of the bluff but was obliged to draw off as the guns of the flotilla had much longer range than his one piece on the night of the thirty-first a paraguayan prisoner escaped from the flotilla swimming ashore on a bundle of sticks from him the patriots learned that the whole force of the enemy did not exceed three hundred and fifty men that they were mounting two small guns intending to land next day in greater force for the purpose of searching the monastery for treasure which they supposed to be hidden there and that after securing the treasure they intended to proceed up the river passing the batteries of punta gorda by night if they could not destroy them and so cut off the trade with paraguay escalada sent out messengers with this news one of whom met san martin and his grenadiers who following the windings of the river had been left behind by the flotilla which was favoured by a southerly breeze fortunately the wind now chopped round to the north and delayed the intended landing so that when san martin by forced marches reached the post-house of san lorenzo three miles from the monastery on the night of the second of february nothing yet had been done at the post-house he found fresh horses waiting for him sent there by escalada in front of the post-house stood an old carriage without horses two troopers rode up to it and asked who is there a traveller answered a sleepy voice another horseman rode up saying be careful this is not an enemy but an englishman on his way to paraguay the traveller put his head out of one of the windows of the coach and thinking he recognized the figure and voice said surely you are colonel san martin if so you have a friend here mr robertson answered the other and so it was this was the well-known traveller william parrish robertson who was destined to witness the memorable events of the next day and to record what he saw the two friends laughed together at their unexpected meeting in the dark and san martin spoke of his project 
the enemy has double the numbers of men that we have but i doubt if they get the better of us so say i replied the englishman offering his visitors wine to drink to their success and asking permission to go with them agreed answered san martin but take care it is no part of your duty to fight i will give you a horse but if the day goes against us you must run for it then giving the order to mount he put himself with his friend at the head of the silent troopers and soon after midnight reached the monastery which they entered by a gateway in the rear of the edifice all the cells were vacant not a sound was to be heard in the cloisters the gate being shut the troopers dismounted in the large courtyard the colonel enjoined silence upon them and forbade them to light fires it brought to mind says the english traveller the greek host hidden in the bowels of the wooden horse so fatal to troy san martin with a night-glass ascended the tower of the church and saw by their lanterns that the enemy was yet there he then carefully reconnoitred the country around him and from information furnished by escalada formed his plans on the river face of the monastery a level plain apt for cavalry manoeuvres extended for three hundred and fifty yards to the edge of the bluff two winding paths one only of which was practicable for infantry information led to the beach below he then withdrew his men from the courtyard and formed them holding their horses by the bridle behind the cloisters and outhouses leaving escalada and his volunteers within the edifice at dawn he again mounted the tower at five o'clock as the shades of night melted away boats laden with armed men were seen to leave the flotilla for the shore at half-past five two small columns of infantry marched up the main path then san martin came down from his post of observation and meeting robertson at the foot of the stairs said in two minutes more we shall be upon them sword in hand a few paces off his orderly held his charger ready a fine cream-coloured horse fully caparisoned in a moment he was in the saddle drawing his curved sabre he galloped off to his grenadiers who were now to enter into action for the first time and in a few words exhorted them to remember his lessons and above all not to fire a shot but to trust to their lances and sabres he put himself at the head of the second squadron and gave command of the first to captain jose bermudez directing him to attack the flank and cut off the retreat of the invaders and added we will meet in the centre of the enemy's column there i will give you further orders the enemy about two hundred and fifty strong had in the meantime advanced some two hundred and odd yards they came on quickly to the sound of drums and fifes and with a flag in two parallel columns of half companies with two four-pound guns between the columns and a little in the advance then was heard for the first time the war clarion of the mounted grenadiers from the right and from the left of the monastery the two squadrons dashed forward at full gallop sabre in hand san martin led the attack on the left bermudez that on the right san martin being nearest was the first to fall on the enemy the fire of the two guns failed to check the onset the heads of the spanish columns were thrown into disorder but falling back opened a heavy fire of musketry san martin with his squadron encountered the column led by zapala in person 
his horse was killed by the first volley, and a fierce hand-to-hand fight raged round him as he lay upon the ground caught by the leg by his fallen steed, in which he received a slight sabre-cut in the face. A Spanish soldier ran forward to bayonet him, but was run through the body with a lance by a grenadier named Baigorria. Another trooper, named Juan Bautista Cabral, sprang from the saddle and released his leader from the fallen horse, and fell himself, pierced by two mortal wounds, shouting, I die content, we have beaten the enemy. Almost at the same moment, Cornet Bouchard killed the bearer of the Spanish ensign and captured the flag. The other column was also driven back by the charge of the squadron led by Bermudez, and the Spaniards, abandoning their guns, retreated to the bluff, where they attempted to form square under protection of the guns of the flotilla. Bermudez, leading a second charge upon them, was mortally wounded by a cannon shot, and Lieutenant Manuel Diaz Vélez, carried away by his enthusiasm, fell with his horse over the bluff, with a ball in his forehead and two bayonet wounds in his chest, but the Spaniards were driven headlong to the beach, leaving behind them, besides their flag, their guns and fifty muskets, forty dead and fourteen prisoners. Many of those who escaped were wounded, one of these being Zapala, their leader. The grenadiers had fifteen killed and twenty-seven wounded, among whom each of the United Provinces had at least one representative. Lieutenant Diaz Vélez, being taken prisoner, was carried on board the flotilla. San Martin, assisted by Robertson, generously furnished the flotilla with fresh supplies for their wounded, and arranged for an exchange of prisoners, giving up those he had captured for three previously taken by the boats and for his wounded officer, but Veleth died in the arms of his comrades a few hours after. One of these released prisoners was a Paraguayan named José Félix Bogado, he at once enlisted in the regiment, and during thirteen years' service with it, from San Lorenzo to Ayacucho, won his way up to the rank of colonel, and then returned to Buenos Aires, accompanied by seven of the original troopers of the corps. Still covered with the blood and dust of the fight, San Martin signed the despatch announcing his victory, under the shade of an old pine tree which still stands in the garden of San Lorenzo. The affair of San Lorenzo, though of little military importance, had a most beneficial effect upon the patriot cause. The safety of the towns on the banks of the Paraná and Uruguay was secured. Communication with Entre Rios, which was the base of the army besieging Montevideo, was maintained. The expected supplies to the city were cut off. The trade with Paraguay was preserved, and above all, a new general given to the army and new vigor to the spirits of the men. Three days afterwards, the discomfited flotilla descended the Paraná, laden with wounded instead of plunder, and carried the news to Montevideo. At the same time, San Martin returned to Buenos Aires, and the enthusiasm of his reception somewhat deadened the calumnies which had already begun to embitter his life. On the 2nd of February, the Spanish army entrenched at Salta was completely routed by General Belgrano, the third victory in less than three months. The revolution of the 8th of October and the influence of the Lautaro Lodge were justified by these results. When San Martin returned to Buenos Aires, he found that political parties confined within the limits of the capital, weakened by local animosities, and ultimately enclosed by the four walls of the lodge, 
had degenerated into circles ruled by personal influences and like most of the influential men of the day he became imbued with the belief that a constitutional monarchy backed by europe was the true solution of the political problem neither he nor they saw that the sentiment of the people was essentially republican secret societies have been at times the only means of organization left to an enslaved people but they have never accompanied the development of revolutionary ideas as a general rule they have produced nothing beyond abortive conspiracies among a free people they are impotent thus the continuance of the secret and irresponsible influence of the lautaro lodge could have no other effect than to weaken the power of the general assembly its own creation within the lodge itself there soon arose two distinct parties one strove only for democratic independence the other was a personal party with alvear at its head which presently absorbed the whole society the dream of alvear was military glory and a dictatorship his friend carrera was at this time may eighteen thirteen both a dictator and a general in his own country he took him as his model but was clear-sighted enough to see that their circumstances were not identical in june eighteen thirteen the army of the north a second time invaded upper peru under the orders of belgrano but was badly beaten at vilcapugio on the first of october and almost destroyed at ayouma on the fourteenth of november the remnant retreated to its former position and belgrano requested to be relieved of the command the united provinces had not at this point any general conspicuous for military genius the laurels gained by don antonio gonzalez balcarte at suipacha were blighted at the desaguadero his brother don martin balcarce was in chile in command of argentine auxiliaries the victory of don jose rondo in front of montevideo was the first and last of his career he lacked the qualities of a commander-in-chief belgrano was wanting both in technical knowledge and in warlike instinct but was the best of them all of the generals of division none had as yet shown any capacity for separate command the revolution which had been so far opposed by mediocre generals and badly organized troops had now to contend against skilful generals and well-disciplined troops alvear applied for the command of the army of the north san martin who considered the expedition against montevideo of more importance willingly gave place to him but alvear ever vacillating and loath to leave the field of politics changed his mind and recommended san martin for the post san martin was anxious to free himself from the trammels of party in order to gain freedom of action in the course he had marked out for himself he accordingly accepted the command of a reinforcement for the army of the north and received instructions to assume the command-in-chief if he should deem it advisable this reinforcement consisted of the seventh battalion of infantry seven hundred strong two squadrons of the mounted grenadiers and one hundred artillerymen and reached tucuman before the close of the year eighteen thirteen soon after san martin and belgrano met at yatasto on the road to salta and swore friendship to each other an oath most faithfully kept by both these two celebrated men had never met before but had for some time corresponded san martin presented himself as a subordinate 
but Belgrano looked to him as a master in the art of war, and regarded him as his successor. After some delay, due to the reluctance of San Martin to supersede his friend, he at length assumed the command on receipt of positive orders to that effect from government, Belgrano remaining with him in command of a regiment. Belgrano died in the belief that San Martin was the tutelar genius of South America, and San Martin, to the end of his days, honored the memory of his illustrious friend as that of one of the purest patriots of the New World. On the 22nd of January, 1814, the executive power was concentrated in one person who took the title of Supreme Director. Don Gervasio Antonio Posadas was selected by the Lodge to fill this post and was duly elected by the General Assembly. No one was more surprised than himself at this appointment, for which his only special recommendation was that he was the uncle of Alvear, who, for the present, contented himself with the command of the army of the capital, until such time as he could take command of the army of Montevideo, and there achieve such military glory as should entitle him to supreme power. The first care of San Martin, on assuming command of the Army of the North, was to insist upon the regular payment of his men. There existed in the army chest a sum of $36,000 drawn from Upper Peru, which government had directed should be paid over to the general treasury. San Martin disobeyed the order and applied the money as he wished, giving government at the same time his reason for doing so government approved of his conduct as justified by necessity for the army was at the time in the last stage of destitution End of chapter four